This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning, everyone. Really great to see you. I see a lot of familiar faces, and I see a lot of unfamiliar faces, too. How many people are here for the first time? Whoa. Great. Well, Well, welcome. Welcome. And good morning to the Zoom Zoom people. Well, the topic of my talk is the karma of food, the karma of food. The subtopic is greed, hate, and delusion at the refrigerator door. <laughs> <laughs> now, this rather humorous subtitle I uh, got from... Uh, a student that was in the Intro to Buddhism class that I taught in the fall, and he told us in a very articulate way. He brought a lot of uh, resonance to me when he said, you know, I go home from work at night and I look in my refrigerator, and my refrigerator is fully stocked. I've probably got two weeks' worth of food in there. I open the door and I look in, and I don't want any of it. And like I said, I really resonated with that, and I think a lot of people in the class did, maybe some of you too. That was one in the, the subject of, of, that we were attacking that day was sensual craving. So food seemed like the wisest sensual craving to talk about being the second biggest source of sensual craving. It's like, you know, it's like we're those hungry ghosts that we know about, those hungry ghosts that have little tiny mouths and great big long necks and they can't take anything in. They can be in the middle of a big big huge feast and they can't eat because they're looking for something else and uh, um, that's what we do. And we have a huge restaurant industry because so many of us are looking for something else. So I'm afraid that many times we go to the restaurant we still are looking for something else. I have a huge addiction to sugar, probably not alone in that, and uh, it's my one substance abuse addiction. (laughs) And usually I'm pretty good about keeping, you know, sweet, obvious sugar things like desserts and cookies and ice cream and stuff like that out of my house. But the craving builds up, and usually in a couple weeks, after a couple weeks of not getting anything like that, I'll splurge. And I did that this week. I bought this box of Oreos, you know, the vanilla kind with the lemon fillings. And I, uh, I got home, and they were the first thing out of my bag, and I opened them up. I stood at the counter, and I ate 14 of them. <laughs> and I thought, hmm. <laughs> It says it says 130 calories per serving. Maybe 14 is a serving. <laughs> no, four. Four is a serving. So I managed in about 10 minutes to eat, you know, over 600 calories of, of sugar, practically pure sugar. So now I'm back in my phase of, of uh, food monkhood, and I'm not buying anything for a little while. And uh, another little story I wanted, I wanted to bring up was this wonderful, wonderful story that Eric Foote told me. I don't even think he knew the subject of my talk, but this story just fit in. Would you like to tell the, your, that little story? I can. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, so uh, 
I went uh, on a short trip with some friends uh, recently, and uh, they have a, a two and a half year old uh, who is a, a lovely little, little kid, and uh, he would sort of like have this moment where he wanted like a little treat, right? So he'd ask his dad, uh, hey, can I have something uh, like really special though? You know, not, not like a goldfish or the, I want something like special. Uh, and so, you know, dig around and find something, give him, you know, a marshmallow and he'd eat it and uh, be pretty happy while he was eating it. And then uh, a few seconds later, uh, it, can I have something like even more special, more and more and more special, and just kept, you know, the ceiling, there was no ceiling to, to the specialness that he wanted, and I was like, wow, like, I'm just like that. <laughs> I'm just amazed that a little two and a half year old kid that so, can so beautifully articulate mm-hmm. our craving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm 76, and I'm still looking for something special, something that will make me happy in the way of food. I mean, you know, yeah. Thank you. So, many, so we're looking. Many of us are looking for. Maybe all of us are looking for something to fill, fill the hole, the H O L E, the vacuum that we perceive inside of us. So it wants to suck everything in. But in truth, there's no hole there. There's no H O L E there. There's only a W H O L E. Never occurred to me before that W H O L E has hole in it. There's, a, there's only a, a hole, a wholeness. There's only wholeness. It's this big, spacious, totally connected pl- place of all potential that we call emptiness. That's our whole. But that's not how we, many of the time, that's not how we perceive it. So that brings me to the three poisons of mind. The three poisons of mind I'm pretty sure most all of you are familiar with. They're called poisons because they're toxic to our happiness and our freedom. That's um, the greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed, hatred, and delusion, sometimes known as craving, aversion, and delusion, or sometimes desire and anger, delusion. Sometimes delusion is called ignorance. We like to have things in threes. It's kind of poetic. So that's our our little uh, mantra of the poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, I was interested in reading uh, Pema Chodron's book, How We Live is How We Die, lately, in which she actually talks a good deal about Tibetan philosophy. She says Tibetans actually have two additional poisons. They call them the kleshas, the poisons. So they they also include pride and jealousy in the list of, uh, uh, add that to greed, hatred, and delusion which I thought was, I found very interesting and helpful. So even though we kind of have this little poetic way of, of expressing the poisons, uh, they're really quite intertwined with each other. It's sometimes pretty hard to separate greed and aversion. I mean, after all, greed is wanting what you, or, you know, wanting to get what you want, wanting things to go your way, wanting and uh, aversion is pushing away things, things that you don't want, and so I guess greed is another way of saying you want what you want, but you also want to not have what you don't want, and vice versa, so they're, they're kind of almost in a way the same thing. 
However, even though I think they're kind of in a way the same thing, I think that we can tell when we're in the throes of greed and when we're in the throes of aversion by how we feel. This is just a theory of mine, I think. I sort of thought a little bit about how I feel when I'm uh, feeling greedy or really wanting something badly. Uh, that I feel, I kind of feel restless, you know, there's this, you know, sometimes I even walk around the house in the case of food with my food cravings, you will find myself walking around the house and ending up in front of the refrigerator even though I didn't even know that's what I was doing, and sort of a yearning feeling and uh, maybe a feeling of powerlessness too around wanting things because you just feel like it's impossible, I, I can't get it. At times, though, of aversion, you know, especially aversion towards other people. You know, I don't like that person. I don't want to be around them, or I don't like what's happening uh, here. Uh, I feel a sort of a walled-in feeling. You know, like a, um, you know, just, just a trapped, a kind of a trapped feeling. And sometimes, maybe I'm not sure if it's true, but you know, fear. I think is more tied up with um, the feelings of. Aversion. I don't know. Anybody have any any thoughts about how they feel when they're, you know, either feeling greedy or feeling hateful towards something? And I don't know if there's anything you've ever thought about. Oh yes, Crystal. Yeah, when I feel greedy or um, hateful towards someone, I feel closed off, and so it's real similar to what you're talking about. It feels like a, a closing in and. Yeah, I'll, I'll bound up. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Well, um, uh, though there's though there's three of them: greed, hatred, and delusion. And in truth, really, delusion is the uh, even though greed and 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 aversion are what we feel, it's really delusion that's really the source of it, of it all. So, and, and delusion doesn't really have a feeling. In fact, probably most people are ignorant of their own ignorance. They're deluded by their own delusion. And that's why we're here, isn't it? Just so that we can see our delusions, so that we can sit silently and um, experience that everything isn't always just the way that we think it is. We actually reject, uh, you know, it's very normal for human beings to reject their actual experience in favor of what they think their actual experience is. Isn't that interesting? I frequently think think of delusion in terms of the stories that I tell myself. This this really big delusion that I've already mentioned, this feeling of lack, this feeling of needing something that we don't have, of wanting something special, not realizing that we already have things that are way more special than we can ever imagine, is you know one of our big ones, and it certainly shows itself up around food. That's why I wanted to talk about food, because I think that food is such a, a good way to study your experiences with the poisons of mind, with greed and aversion. So I'm curious, what are you guys, uh, what are your favorite delusions? <laughs> what, are the, what are the ones that most, uh, I don't know, that you notice the most in you? Anyone? 
Yes. What's your name? I'm Alex. Alex. No. Uh, recently, I went to West Texas, and um, I was like thinking about the landscape there that I had seen the year before, and really wanted to connect with that. And like, I realized that when I got there, I was kind of wanting to feel an intense emotion uh -huh. in response. And it wasn't there. <laughs> and I know how beautiful it is. The feeling of beauty wasn't there last time. So yeah. Kind of, but I think it has to do, like, now that you're talking about, like, the relationship between the anticipation. And, uh -huh. It was there. It was and and you had that experience time. before and you wanted it to happen again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 That happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. That's good, thank you. Yeah. Uh, specifically, a food delusion is sometimes it's something I haven't eaten for a while, like Lunchables, and I'm like, I'm going to try this again, it's going to be just as good as when I was it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this tomato sauce is practically a shit, you know? And you just have to wonder, did they change the recipe, or is it just my experience of it has changed since I was, you know, eight? Right. Yeah, Here we go. You go to the restaurant and you get the same thing you had last time, so it was so good, and it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. This weird reaction that is just so strange because it combines greed and aversion. So I hate cigarettes, and I don't like. Like I don't like them, and um, my parents were smokers. They're not. My dad's not anymore, but. And so I hated them, but whenever I want to not eat, I have this urge, I'm like, I need to get some cigarettes because that's what my mom, how she dieted, was with cigarettes. I'm like, but I hate cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't smoke, but it's like, but that's what I'm supposed to do, because if I can't have the food, I need something. You need something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, but if I don't need food, then... Maybe I don't need any. Like, it's like like this tendency to, well, if it's not food, then it will be something else. Mm, mm -hmm, There's always mm -hmm, got to be something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's just a it's just a weird thing. Yeah, I don't. It's weird. You don't actually go buy cigarettes. You just want to. Is right. that right? Yeah. yeah. It's just this urge, and I'll see people smoking. Oh, that looks so good, and then it's like that's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Conditioning that yeah. I well, that's a real good conditioning story. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Catherine. My delusion is that chores that I don't want to do today, somehow tomorrow they'll look appetizing <laughs> and I want to do them. <laughs> okay. Well, I relate to all of these. Yeah. Yeah, we, and we, one of mine is that I, I can figure people out. Maybe I only know them for 10 minutes, but I'm, I've got them figured out. It's not as bad as it used to be, but I remember in my early days, I'd even be in a silent retreat, and the people sitting near me, I hadn't even talked to, I had them all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Eric. I think, I think one thing that I've kind of been noticing is... Uh, the delusion that uh, I can never be totally like free from delusion, right? Like I, I think I had this idea that you know if you practice hard enough or work hard enough, you can totally be free from it. Mm. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if that's exactly 
I have a feeling that too, even though we make a vow that we uh, will end our delusions, I think the best we can hope for is that we will end our delusion, we will end being unaware of our delusions, you know, because I think if we can see them, if we see them, it makes a big difference in how we act and how much harm we won't do if we uh, can see, you know. So at least we can hope for something pretty close to that, even. Yeah, it's, it, it does seem like a, a mistranslation to say that we can actually end delusions. <laughs> like, I don't know. But I guess we vow it because we've got to aim for something. Oh, yes, hi. What's your name? Jacob. Jacob. Um, yeah. you know, I, was, I was just thinking, like, I feel like my biggest delusion is the fact that I can just be in my own bubble. Like, I work remotely. I'm consuming certain, like, podcasts that are that have a certain uh, perspective. And then, you know, I'll come home and have a, have, like, I'll come home back in Houston and have, like, a certain lens that I'm like, oh, everybody thinks this. And I'm, like, on another universe compared to, like, some of my family or, or, um, or people who I haven't connected with in a long time. So I guess my biggest delusion is my assumption that you know, everybody's living in my head. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's an excellent one, and everyone thinks like you do. Yeah, yeah and it's so wrong. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever realize how completely wrong that is. <laughs> yes, but I can't even see back there, yeah. I'm small. Um, my name's Courtney. Uh, that my mom will change. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine she has the same one about you, too. (laughs) All right, well, I I enjoyed hearing about delusions, which aren't so different from my delusions. Most of the time, actually, you know, we talk about how we need this and we need that, or we, you know, we want, uh, we're... Most of the time, this stuff we talk about needing is really just a disguise for not really having what we want. Not getting our own way, in other words. So we really need to get our own way. And, of course, the reason for this food craving is a natural uh, need that is instilled in our human bodies to make sure that we get enough to eat. But I suspect that most of us don't know real hunger is anybody in here really known real hunger where it's painful and or or maybe you're near starvation? Has anybody experienced that in this room? Okay, nobody. So So we want stuff. After all, you know, wanting wanting stuff is a lot more exciting than actually having stuff. Am I right about that? Wanting stuff is something off in the future, you don't have to really do anything about it. You know. If you want a new car, well, once you get the new car, then you've got to really read the manual and take it into the shop and watch it get its dents and, you know, vacuum it out and take care of it. And, you know, but wanting it, oh, that's a lot more exciting. Well, um, I guess I can't, we can't talk about food craving without uh, bringing up Oriyoki. Many, many of you may not know what Oriyoki is, but how many people in here have experienced Oriyoki? Okay, more than half. 
So orioki is our, um, our, our, our eating ritual that we use when we have retreats, meditation retreats. These are retreats that are at least a day long and can be as long as seven days long. And um, so we have a, a very ritualized way of eating. We eat out of three bowls and um, eat in silence and in stillness. And then, of course, in a retreat, um, you know, I just realized I kind of didn't make a major point that I wanted to make when I was talking about delusions. Uh, we had fun with delusions, but, you know, basically what comes out of our thinking mind, of our small self-centered thinking mind, is delusion. So some people would go to Sarah and say, is most all of our thoughts are delusive, right? That's, that, is that too harsh? Maybe, maybe a little. <laughs> Because we, we see our, I mean, I know that nobody would like, would like it if somebody said to them, you think of yourself as the center of the universe, but, you know, most of us do really think that way. I mean, you know, we're, our, our thinking is about maintaining this body and maintaining this physical body and getting, getting by in this physical, physical world. So, you know... I, I'm, I, I still maintain that most of our thought is, is delusive. But when we're in Sushin, and when we're meditating for hours at a time, we kind of lose a little bit of that edge. We actually start to see our thoughts a lot more clearly, and we see our delusions, and things kind of settle down. And we not, aren't quite so taken in by our thinking mind. We're not quite so... Uh, at its beck and call, because much of the time we are, you know, whatever our thoughts are, that's what we do. We, and that's who we are, is what we think we are. But when we're when we're in a a more uh, a meditative uh, situation, we are able to see that uh, what we're doing a little bit a little bit more clearly. It's not you know it's not like we get enlightened yet, but we're our minds are a little bit. Um, things become just a little bit more clear. And so it's very, very interesting to see what happens around food when our minds are a little bit more clearer than they usually are. When uh, our ideas about what food tastes like, when our ideas about what food tastes like are, we find out that our ideas about what food tastes like are very different from what food actually tastes like. To some of you who, you know, Orioki, you know that experience of eating oatmeal in the morning without any sugar on it and without any milk, just um, a little bit of sesame seeds and some salt, and it tastes wonderful. Am I right about that, you people that know Orioki? <laughs> and it goes on like that. And, and, uh, and it's just, to me, it's just fascinating to see the difference in how food tastes when we're really not telling ourselves all these stories about how food is supposed to taste. Even your snackables might taste good in Orioki. You will try that sometime. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, it's just, I, I don't know, to me it is just such a, it's such a teacher to, to see 
you know, how things can really be. And I mean, if you extrapolate that into your whole life, you know, how glorious life could be if we weren't so busy thinking about how it should be or how we want it to be or, you know, how we actually think it is, you know. So, and then I wanted to tell a little story about myself over time because I've been practicing Zen for a long time. And I've been going to Sushins. Sushins is another word for retreats, these retreats that are at least a day long. And I've been going to them for a long time. And I grew up with this uh, huge aversion. I don't have too many food aversions, but one was to raw tomatoes. I could not stand raw tomatoes. I think it was psychological. I think my mother loved them, and I, maybe she made me sit at the table all day until I would eat them or something. I don't know. But I really, ugh, ooh, that green stuff in tomatoes, and they're all slimy. I just, ugh, that was horrible. I, I wouldn't put a raw tomato in my mouth for anything. But when I went to start going to, one of the things about Orioki is that you, you have a say in how much you're served, but once it's in your bowl, you're supposed to eat it. And there's really no reasonable way to get rid of it, you know, <laughs> other than to eat it. And especially with, I mean, I don't know, people try things like wrapping food up in their, in their uh, claws or maybe putting it in their sleeves or, or you know. But... Uh, but that wouldn't work too well with raw tomatoes. And, you know, we'd have salad, and I'd end up with some raw tomatoes in my bowl. And um, so I, being a good little girl, I ate them. And at first it wasn't a very good experience, but after a little while I started to notice that, you know, they don't really taste that bad. They're not my favorite thing, but they're pretty neutral. I can do this. I can eat these raw tomatoes. And as years went on, I found myself eating very, very easy to eat raw tomatoes in Sashin. When I was in Sashin, <laughs> I could eat them because my mind was not telling me all kinds of stories about how they taste. However, as soon as Sashin was over, I was back to my old habits. I couldn't, I still couldn't eat them. And um, yeah, I can now. In fact, last night I was eating at the New World Deli and I had a, a Greek salad and had a, a big pile of cherry tomatoes and um, and I don't always eat them because it's a habit to not eat them. And I was thinking, no, i got to eat them because I'm going to give this talk tomorrow and I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> and actually one of the people there was uh, in the sangha, and she's not here today, but I thought, well, if she's there, I really, really have to eat these. And they're fine. They just taste neutral. So, I mean, I, I, I can make myself eat them, but I have to try a little bit because my habits will kick in and I'll be telling myself that same old story again from, from childhood. Anyway, this has been a huge lesson for me, and it, it's just, well, not only does it show how very difficult it is to overcome uh, food uh, aversions and food cravings, you know, it, it also just shows so clearly how my mind is actively in charge, and my small mind, and how, what a strong stranglehold it, it has. So why is food craving so difficult? I mean, I, I, know, I know people that have practiced Buddhism for a number of years, including myself, that say uh, Buddhist practice has helped them with many, many things, but food, it hasn't been much of a help. And I have to say that's true with me. I don't think it's true with everybody. I think there are people that do a wonderful job of learning to eat nourishing food and not uh, succumb to cravings for 
unhealthy food or or cravings to eat for emotional reasons like to be happy or to deal with their anxiety or whatever uh, I think there are people that are but they're rare I think they're somewhat rare and I'm I'm very admiring of them but so why is food craving so hard I think partly is it it is the second most strongest craving that we have you know for obvious reasons that's how we stay alive and we can't get away from it I mean food is uh, you know, we're, our lives are totally dependent on food, and we deal with it three, four, five, six times a day. We're constantly preparing food, eating food, buying food, talking about food, and we have a huge number of people that work in the food industry, so we can't get away from it. And, of course, like everything, of course, our culture is making sure that all, all of our cravings are turned up to the highest pitch they can possibly be by advertising and and maybe we also have a, a feeling of, around food too that we have a feeling I think it's a very false feeling that we have control around food. Food is one thing we we can we can control what goes into our mouth and it's very hard for anyone else to force feed us or make us eat something we don't want to so it's a, it's a control we imagine that we have control over it and we all want control right control is one of our major cravings to be able to control things so it makes food even more attractive but of course as i hope this talk has said we really don't have too much control over over what we what we eat i mean i mean because of all this this stuff that's going on in our in our heads that's really driving our feelings about food. Well, um, I guess that's about what I wanted to say. I, I hope I've given you some food for thought <laughs> <laughs> and, and that it tastes good. And I'll just leave a couple of things. I, I, I read a quote the other day, and it's not particularly, it doesn't really particularly have anything to do with this subject, but I liked it, so I thought I'd close with it. And this is from Sylvia Borstein, the Theravadan teacher. She says, There's an evanescent quality to this life. It keeps on changing. And we know that, but we don't really know it. I think if we really knew it, we wouldn't spend a moment being angry. And I'll leave you with one other thing. This is a, a little, I, I call it a koan because it's been acting like a koan to me. I, it's something I read a few weeks ago and I cannot find uh, which book I read it in. But uh, here, here it is. This is a question. It's, can you be sad without feeling sad? And you can substitute any emotion. Can you, can you be angry without feeling angry? Yeah, it's kind of perplexing, isn't it? But I, it's kind of got me. I've been, I've been thinking about it. I was thinking about activism being, I mean, a good activist can be angry without feeling angry because if you feel angry, you're going to act angry. You're going to, you know, I don't know, something to think about.